October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and in Delaware, legislators like Representative Krista Griffith are hard at work to provide urgent and critical help for victims, including high school and college students statewide. Here we are in 2021 facing a crisis, really, with domestic violence. Sadly, this year so far, and we have two more months to go, there have been 20 domestic violence-related fatalities. Lori Sittler of Child Inc. is also committed to this kind of work and works tirelessly to provide essential services to support survivors of domestic violence. It is difficult to admit that you are in this situation and that you need help. People are, people are proud and they, they want to believe that they can solve this problem on their own. Domestic violence can happen to anyone and is a problem for every community regardless of age, gender, race, or socioeconomic status. It comes in many forms and tends to increase during an economic crisis or a pandemic. But those of you who are listening can make a difference by helping to raise awareness and taking action in your community to stop this devastating issue before it turns deadly. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. I have Representative Krista Griffith and Lori Sittler of Child Inc., an organization that offers domestic violence services to children and their families. Welcome, ladies, and thank you for joining us on Whip Count. Thank you for having me. So, ladies, you know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but raising awareness happens all year round. Some key things to know domestic violence can be emotional psychological, physical, and or sexual. It can include intimidation tactics, stalking, or patterns of control and power. Let's talk about that for a moment. You know, Nichelle, you just encapsulated the whole, you know, the, the, the range and the, the range and how widespread domestic violence can be for an individual. You know, sometimes the imagery that comes to mind when someone is talking about domestic violence is seeing a woman with a black eye, you know, and obviously that is a, a sign in a form of domestic violence. But behind that black eye, there's often and always a other, other issues going on uh, in which she is being subjected to control and abuse by her intimate partner. And it's important to identify that. Uh, in order to get her the resources and the help that she needs. And I know Lori sees this on the front line every day as director of one of Delaware's largest agencies that help the victims of domestic violence in their children. For over 40 years, Child Inc. has been involved in addressing domestic violence holistically. Um, we have two shelters in Newcastle County they are safe and confidential locations for women and their children. Uh, but we also have a variety of resources available in the community for those women or men who opt not to sh seek shelter services. Uh, and we can, we can get into, uh, get into those um, a little bit down the line, but um, just suffice it to say that 
our approach is holistic. We do work with, with the victims of domestic violence, certainly children who are impacted by domestic violence through our Helping Children Heal therapy program. And we also are the certified provider of batterers intervention services in Newcastle County because we believe that in order to uh, eventually eradicate domestic violence, which is our mission, um, that we do need to address all parties involved. Representative Griffith, tell us, you know, I want to jump right into legislation designed to help victims of domestic violence. First, there's House Bill 124, which is a gun bill, but with a component to help victims. Can you please explain that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I will. And let, and let me, um, before I get into the legislation and the specifics of what it's aimed to do, I want to um, lend some um, statistics that give reason behind it. You know, here we are in 2021 facing a crisis really with domestic violence. Sadly, this year so far, and we have two more months to go, there have been 20 domestic violence related fatalities. Domestic related violence fatalities include those murders and suicides that are done, that are um, committed by uh, perpetrators of domestic violence against intimate and non-intimate family members. So it could be uh, a dating relationship, a spousal relationship, or a child against a child or a, a member of one's family. So this year, 20 people have died as a result of domestic violence. Compare that to last year. For the entire year of 2020, there were 10 domestic violence related fatalities. So we are up double the numbers in just this past year. If you look back beyond 2020 uh, to the number of fatalities in 2019, there were 12 in 2018, 15, 2017, eight, 2016, 13, and 2015, eight. So we are really in a crisis here this year. And I imagine a lot of that has to do with the pandemic, um, individuals being isolated and at home, not being in the typical workplace or out in the community where they might be more apt to get help and resources. And that because of the economics that are going on in families right now, they're even more subject to control. So we are really at a crisis point where we need to do whatever we can. We need to use whatever tool we can to reduce the number of these fatalities um, because this is devastation that lasts generations. When a mother is killed by her intimate partner and that intimate partner then kills himself, you, children are then orphaned. Um, and, the, and, uh, and oftentimes these children even sometimes witness the murders. And, and so it, it has a devastating, horrific impact on the rest of their lives and then their children's lives. So, you know, really need to be continuing to do whatever we can to address the root causes of violence, um, which Lori is doing with these better intervention groups uh, to make sure that for those individuals who are committing and are perpetrators of domestic violence, they're taking whatever courses and having whatever intervention they need to stop the cycle of violence. In addition to all the resources and all the help that her agency and agencies like People, People's Place in Delaware are providing to victims so that they can um, know how to safely escape and safely get out of a very volatile, violent situation. So House Bill 124 is one of those mechanisms that I really wanted to get accomplished this year and was very much on the top of my to-do list. 
And I wanted to make sure that we accomplished this because back some time ago, I myself was a prosecutor at the Delaware Department of Justice. I was assistant unit head of the domestic violence unit. So I saw on the front line uh, cases of domestic violence all the way from the misdemeanors to the felonies, all the way from uh, the um, offensive touching to attempted murder by firearm. And one thing that always disturbed me was that in our law, in the statute that deals with individuals who are not allowed to carry, own, or possess firearms, there was a loophole. And the loophole pertained to that section, which deals with protections from abuse orders. Now, so-called PFAs are those civil orders that individuals can seek if they are uh, fearful of their um, family member. Uh, and this will uh, keep, it's basically a stay away order. Typically those orders require individuals not to have firearms. They can't go, have, they can't purchase them. They can't possess them. They can't control them, whatever. In fact, our law says if you have a PFA, you can't do that. But the problem was there was a small loophole that said accept ex parte orders. Now, ex parte's orders are those very first orders that happen, those very first emergency orders. So if someone, and, and it's, it's critical time in the relationship between a victim and a perpetrator of domestic violence. It's that critical time where someone is trying to escape from their partner. It is the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence. The time that she decides to separate from him, the time that she decides to get help from the court and get a PFA is very dangerous. And it is the time when we need to make sure that that perpetrator is not having access to firearms. So what House Bill 124 did, and I'm proud to say that it's gonna be signed into law on October 20th by Governor Carney, um, close that loophole. So now, if someone is aware that there's a PFA order against him, no matter what kind of order it is, ex parte, full order, you have it, he may not possess, control, or purchase firearms. So, you know, again, it's one step in our attempts to try to reduce the number of those fatalities. Um, law enforcement and survivors and the community liked this bill because what it does is it provides a tool to stop somebody if they have firearms and because they will then become a person prohibited. So law enforcement has the ability to arrest someone if they have a PFA, they know they have a PFA and they're still carrying a cache of weapons in their car. Um, the bill also has another part, um, which I think also helps victims of domestic violence. Uh, currently federal law, you can't go purchase a firearm if you have a pending felony charge against you. Um, so what I did was I expanded that to include um, misdemeanor charges of domestic violence. So if you have, if you've been charged with offensive touching, when this law uh, is signed uh, on uh, October 20th, it will then, you will then not be allowed if you have a pending charge, say for even for the one of the lowest degrees of offenses, which is offensive touching, you will not be allowed to go purchase a firearm. So again, we're trying to do what we can to reduce that number of, uh, of, of fatalities and, and, and particularly, and why firearms, why are we targeting firearms? Unfortunately, um, what, what the st stats reveal is a predominant majority number of homicides that are domestic violence related are committed by firearm. In fact, in the past five years of the 41 domestic related fatalities, 29 of those involved firearms. Thank you for saying all that you just mentioned to all of us. I mean, I hope 
people listen and get serious about sharing this information with a friend, a family member, a coworker, someone that they even think could be going through this devastating but common issue of domestic violence. Now, Representative Griffith, you're also passionate about protecting students statewide. Can you talk about that legislation at all? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm so proud of the Domestic Violence Coordinating Council and advocates like Lori Sittler and, and her colleagues, because they have really brought to light the impacts of teen dating violence and how this is becoming uh, quite an issue in our schools. Um, so I, I know some states like California have had success and on student ID cards, listing the numbers for the domestic violence hotline on those cards so that students have an immediate way to understand and resource, you know, have a resource to them if they're in the situation where they need help. So, you know, oftentimes, especially teens are embarrassed to ask for help. They don't know what to do. They don't even want to call and maybe they can't even look up on their computer. What is the number uh, for, for a hotline? And so having that just on everybody's student ID card, having the hotline number, on the ID card is, is just, it's right there for them. The other thing that, uh, because we're very deeply concerned about suicide, uh, suicides in our young adults, um, we're also gonna be listing the suicide uh, prevention and suicide help line on there so that we can prevent suicides from taking place because that's another issue young adults are facing. But uh, so that bill has been filed and I'm hoping that when we reconvene in January, that will become law. Um, one thing, and I think Lori could give us some great information on this that I, I don't think people quite understand is the process of separating from an abusive partner is a pro it is definitely a process. And it's one that I don't think people have an appreciation for how serious and how scary it is for someone to leave someone. We know in examples that if you have an abusive partner, you may not be able to on your phone type in what, uh, who, how can I get help? Because that abusive partner will be looking through your history to find out what, what you're doing. And so, um, you know, I, I think Lori might help us to understand like the dynamics of separation and how tricky it is and how her organization helps people in a safe way. Because in domestic violence help, it's all about safety planning and making sure that the victim is able to get away from that abusive person very safely. Yes, and Lori, I think it would also be nice to discuss behavior patterns. Like what, for those of us who may be sitting on the outside of friends who are going through some things with a spouse, are there things that we should be paying attention to, certain behaviors? I think that changes in behavior, um, so if you're noticing in a, in a family member or a friend that, for instance, um, one of the early warning signs in a, a new relationship, let's say, is where the new partner wants to monopolize the time of your, your friend or, or a family member. They just, you know, they just are, are so enthralled with them. They, um, you know, are so in love with them. They want to spend every minute with them. And I think it's hard sometimes for people to distinguish during that sort of, you know, the early honeymoon phase of a relationship that what often is happening is the offender, and I'm going to use the pronoun he because overwhelmingly 
abusers in our experience are male. Uh, he is attempting to cut her off from means of support. So he will make excuses as to why she shouldn't be visiting with family or friends. Um, he'll make excuses as to why he doesn't want her going out with friends. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't um, like a particular person. He thinks, you know, her, her family uh, has too much to say about their relationship, let's say. So he's, he's basically trying to reel uh, the new partner in so that he, he can control who she sees, who she speaks with, who she spends time with. What happens in a situation uh, as, that, as that world becomes more narrow for her, it has cut off her means of support. So she may not, you know, she may have alienated friends and family because she isn't available because he's told her, you know, she can't go or speak to certain people. So those means of support sometimes, uh, her, her world gets very narrow and focused on him and that leaves her really without a safety net. So one of the things that we try and do in, uh, in our agency is to be that safety net, that safe person that a victim can reach out to. So even if they feel that they don't need to come to one of our shelters, we do have a 24-hour bilingual hotline. Uh, there's also a bilingual hotline in the Kent and Sussex area. So anywhere in Delaware, um, a victim has that option. We also, during the pandemic, uh, we, were, we were very fortunate to receive some uh, CARES Act funding to create a chat feature on our website childinc.com. If a victim, as Representative Griffith says, sometimes the, the phone is a, uh, used as a weapon. Um, and I don't mean a physical weapon. I mean, he is, he is checking history, call history, who has she texted. Um, sometimes the phone will be taken from her so that she can't reach out. But in those instances where even, even if uh, she is able at a workplace or at a uh, friend's house, you know, running into a, a Starbucks to get Wi-Fi, if she can access our website, our hotline counselors will be able to, to chat, which sometimes can be, uh, can be a good alternative to making that hotline call because it is difficult when, especially during the pandemic, families were locked in together. And we had many a hotline call during that time where people were saying, if I hang up suddenly, it's because he has come home from work or come home from uh, the store. We've had women who will use the opportunity when their partner uh, takes a shower to spend five minutes on the hotline trying to figure out what their best options are. We also have Representative Griffith spoke about, spoke about protection from abuse orders. I'm happy to say that in all three courthouses in the state, there are Child Inc. employees and volunteers who are in the courthouses specifically to assist victims with filing their petitions. So if the legal process generally can be scary, walking into a courthouse and taking that step to file a protection from abuse against a partner is a difficult, is a difficult process. The legal system is not always accessible. 
especially if, uh, if people have limited English proficiency, uh, we can help them and then go into the courtroom or be on the Zoom call if it's a remote hearing to provide support through that process as well. As you were talking, it made me think of a friend. And I don't know if this is in Delaware, I probably should know this, but I had a friend so that people can kind of understand like the seriousness. When it's October, this is not a month that we just put up a post on Facebook to remember victims of domestic violence. This is an opportunity for us to really get involved. And so I had this friend many years ago she called me up and she says, hey, I need to come by your house. I turned my kids in because I was going to hurt them because of a domestic violence situation. She wanted to end her life and she wanted to end the lives of her children, right? And is there a, is, is that something that Child Inc. can help a, a, a parent with if they felt like ending it all? Would they take on those children, no questions asked? Because the, the interesting thing, that friend of mine did not realize she was in a, an abusive situation until her husband beat her so bad one day. And this almost makes me emotional, but he beat her so bad that it, she didn't wake up until her kids said, mommy, just do what daddy tells you oh. to do. Oh. And at that moment, when she got an opportunity to leave, that's when she left and took the kids, but she wanted to end her life. So is there a program where parents, if they're just absolutely, they, they feel absolutely helpless, is there a place that they can turn their kids into so that they won't harm the children? So let me tell you about um, a small project that started uh, during the pandemic and the funding we are hoping will be extended. We have actually uh, two mental health counselors who we have been able to hire in our shelter um, because the purpose of this small grant is um, suicide prevention. And we work in conjunction with some of the, some of the community counseling agencies uh, as well as the hospital emergency rooms. So if someone were to be in a hospital emergency room and they are uh, being triaged, perhaps for injuries, due to a domestic violence situation and it is assessed that they do have suicidal ideations, tendencies, if you will, um, our, our hotline will screen those victims into shelter and they certainly can bring their children. And that is, that is uh, again, sort of an added support for those women who are at higher risk of you know, feeling, as you say, so hopeless yeah. that that they that they have suicidal ideations um having them in the shelter helps uh, certainly because they have caring staff who are there they have people who are trained in mental health interventions and we can also connect them with services in the community so that whether it be contacting the school counselor if the children are school-aged maybe working with that woman if she does feel like at that point, she can't parent effectively, maybe identifying a family member or a close friend to whom she can, she can place her children with 
So I, I am happy to say that it has been recognized that suicide has been on the increase during the pandemic and certainly among um, the domestic violence population. They already have experienced the trauma of domestic violence and sometimes uh, not seeing a way out can cause some victims to believe that suicide is the only answer. Yeah, and it certainly isn't. Can we talk about the strategic committee that was certainly formed to create like a one-stop center, a one-stop shop for victims in need of shelter? So this is a very exciting time for Delaware. The Domestic Violence Coordinating Council, which is the overarching organization that really monitors uh, domestic violence programs and court cases, et cetera, and how Delaware is responding to domestic violence and how we are um, working to reduce incidents of domestic violence. Last week or a week or two ago, discussed and formed a committee that's going to be looking at the possibility of bringing to Delaware what's called a family justice center. So it's very early stages. Family justice centers are not a new concept. Uh, they have been uh, placed throughout the country in different cities and states have taken on these initiatives to create what is, as you say, Nichelle, a one-stop shop, if you will, uh, for victims of domestic violence and their families. So we're in the very, even though Delaware has discussed this at different points in the past you know, decade and a half, there's a new urgency, I guess, to really look at this to say, hey, do we want to move in this direction, which I think is very exciting. I think anytime that we're looking at ways that we can really do our best, because again, this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. To me, who does that mean that this month is for? This month is for the survivors, really. This month is for those survivors to say, you can do this. You can get out of this situation. You can live a better life for you and your children. You can find happiness and you do not need to be controlled. You do not need to be beaten down. You can be whoever it is you want to be. And so what this, uh, and I think Family Justice Center sort of take that motto, if you will, and create it into a center. And so what they are, it's, it's multi-agency, multi-disciplinary uh, centers that provide services to victims of violence. And it includes, you know, you could have, say, for example, Child Inc. could be located there. You could have representatives from law enforcement, the Department of Justice, um, maybe even defense services. I, I, we don't, I mean, we don't know what you know, what the model is going to look like, but it's a truly victim-centered place where a person can go with her children and her family and, and be able to seek the help that she needs. And I know Lori is more of an expert on these than I am. Uh, so I'm going to defer to her a little bit to see like how, you know, how they've worked in other communities and, and you know, what her vision is maybe for, for how they might look in Delaware. I think that the Family Justice Center, I agree, Representative Griffith, is, is a really exciting opportunity for Delaware. I have sort of watched centers around the country and looked at the services that they have been able to, to bring together. I think the important thing about the Family Justice Center is it provides a service continuum because we are all pieces of the puzzle, uh, whether it be, as you say, the Department of Justice, law enforcement, Division of Family Services, which is Delaware's Child Welfare Agency, or the private agencies like Child Inc., People's Place, um, Community Legal Aid, that have, have services that uh, victims of all sorts of offenses can take advantage of. So if it's a victim of domestic violence, child abuse, elder abuse, 
we would be able to work as a team, as you say, a multidisciplinary team so that each of the pieces of the puzzle can come together around, uh, you know, I call it sort of a, um, uh, a safety net, but, you know, others would describe it as sort of a, a wraparound um, service for victims uh, so that they would be able to do that, you know, one-stop shop and access all of the, the services on the government side, as well as the nonprofit community side that may have a, a piece of something that they need, whether it be to prosecute, to file that PFA, to join a support group, to go to a shelter. So it, it really is, is a, uh, a holistic approach and it is very, very exciting. So I'm happy to say that when it was offered, I raised my hand and said that I would like childing to be part of the planning because I think, I think it, it really is a, a great opportunity for Delaware. Yeah, and I was excited too. I raised my hand too. I'm like, when the, the call came out, would anybody be interested in serving on the strategic committee to look into this? I'm like, oh, me, me, me. I want, mm -hmm. I want to try to see how it can help because, you know, Delaware's fortunate. We're a small state. We're connected. In a sense, we have a family justice center by our network. But again, you know, physic, physical location is also, is, is really important. And, and the one question I asked, which really had me very excited about this potential is, we, we underestimate the power of economics in these relationships. And I asked what happens, how do, because a woman who is being abused by her husband and controlled by her husband often is also controlled by him financially. So, and a reason why so many women are not able to leave relationships that are abusive is because there's no way she could live on her own, like controls all of the resources the phone, the car, whatever it is, you know, she, and maybe she doesn't, maybe she has lost her job because she's no longer able to go to work because he wants her home all the time. Or maybe she's lost her job because sadly she has so many um, injuries that she's missed so many days of work that she cannot, that she has lost her job. Or maybe she's had to go to court cases and she has lost her job because of those. So to me, a part of the freedom from domestic violence really is creating better economic opportunities for abuse, abused women uh, to get that job and that financial support that they need for their own security and their own well-being and their own happiness. I think we all know that when you have a place to go for employment, that you can call your own, uh, something for an individual to be proud of. So when, when that domestic partner violates that ability for somebody, it's, 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 it's crushing. And so one aspect of family justice centers are, is providing sometimes job placement or job training or assistance with trying to find a safe place for someone to work, help individuals get new bank accounts, um, do whatever they need to create that separation so that that individual can be free from their abusive uh, partner and, and create their own new life, their own new home, their own car, whatever, whatever it is she needs to be able to to have her space and her freedom back. Economic empowerment is a very, uh, a very critical piece as is long-term housing. And that is a challenge that not only Delaware, but uh, that is a challenge across the, the nation, finding affordable, safe housing. Because many times we will have families in our domestic violence shelter and their next step is, is really the stark reality that there is no affordable housing it's particularly in Newcastle County, 
uh, for them to go to as their next step. And sadly, some, some women choose to return to the family home with the abuser just so that they and their children are not homeless, which is a, a really horrible choice to have to make. So if we had uh, more economic empowerment and more options for housing for victims who are trying to transition out of these violent relationships, that would be a really critical piece. I think many of us know someone who uh, this hits very close to home to, right? There was a, someone who I know, their mother was killed by an ex-partner because they wanted to leave. And we've seen cases like that in, in Delaware, uh, one in particular, I think it was in Smyrna. And I'm bringing this up because oftentimes women are on the right track. They, they or men are on the right track, right? They take the necessary steps to, to get away from that person. The person gets arrested, but then there's bail, right? And, and the person can get out and cause damage. Are there things being done with bail guidelines here in the state of Delaware? Um, there are. Um, there are things that are being done and a uh, bill was recently passed that uh, does change when um, in certain offenses, whether someone is presumed to be able to have cash bail or be released on their own recognizance. But I think deeper than that, uh, I was very proud to be asked by the Chief Justice of the Delaware Supreme Court to serve on a committee that included advocates uh, for um, victims of domestic violence and top judges from all courts in the state, uh, as well as uh, representative from the Office of Defense Services and the Department of Justice. This summer, we came together uh, under the direction of uh, retired Justice Randy Holland, who, if anybody knows Justice Holland, he is a remarkable and wonderful individual who's very, very smart. And he convened this group, and we looked at the variety of issues that judicial officers should consider when setting bail, and was specifically in regard to domestic violence cases. Now, I believe that report is pending, but should be available in the near term uh, as, a, as a guide to to judges in terms of how bail is set and what factors to look to look at. And, and this is not new, it's not new at all. Judges have always had, you know, some information to them, but in, in, in the process of these cases, you know, you do learn from these cases. And so we, you know, we look at, as a group, it's good to come together to say, hey, what might be missing? What other information might be helpful for someone to know? You know, I talked about that economic relationship, you know, are there details about that economic relationship that might be helpful to a judicial officer when setting bail or setting, you know, not just bail, and it's not just bail, it's like the no contact guidelines, you know, that to mm -hmm. make sure that sometimes when individuals are released, um, there's a no, there, there is no no contact order, meaning the individual can contact the victim. Normally, that's not the case, but sometimes that does happen. And so, you know, that that needs to, to um, to be made clear. You know, unfortunately, sometimes people, victims are contacted by uh, the abusive uh, partner after a bond has been set and they've been told not to. Um, and so that, 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 that's a whole other issue that we need to continue to work on. But I think what, what, what I'm trying to say here is that there's things that we can always be doing to improve our systems and 
to make sure that, uh, especially in the criminal justice context, that that um, we're doing what we can to protect victims who have already come forward and there's pending charges to make sure that they're safe as that process works its way through the system. Thank you. Are there any numbers? I, I know, Lori, you mentioned there are some hotlines that people can dial in that are for those who may not speak English. It could be Spanish speaking, whatever. But can you, we list those numbers right now? Sure. So the Newcastle County domestic violence number is 302-762-6110. If you live in Northern Kent County, the number to call is 302-678-3886. If you live in Kent and Sussex County, a number to call is 302-422-8058. Now, there's also some bilingual hotlines. So for those living in Newcastle County, the bilingual hotline is the same as the regular hotline. So 302-762-6110. the bilingual hotline for um, Northern Kent is different um, than the than the than the other number I listed. So for Northern Kent County, the bilingual hotline is 302-745-9874. And in Kent and Sussex County, the bilingual hotline is 302-745-9874. Seven four, and we will, as part of this podcast, when I share it on social media, include the list of numbers so that um, someone can have that handy. As I mentioned earlier, yes, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but this is something that we need to do year round. And any final words, anything that you ladies want to say that could really help someone, a man, a woman, feel empowered to just stand up and walk away? I am going to conclude with this. Uh, People don't know this. A lot of people don't know this. Lori and her team and the people employed by People's Place and their team, the advocates in our state, they're experts in how to help victims. They have seen it all. They have seen so many different situations. They're familiar with how to respond. The best thing to do is turn to our trained advocates for help because they're gonna know how to get somebody safely out of a situation or different ideas or steps. You know, a lot of times it's overwhelming. You know, I sit here and think, well, how would I advise? I, you know, my advice is to call someone at Child Inc to call someone at People's Place to utilize those hotline numbers because there's some strategizing that might need to take place for somebody. It might be a number of steps. And that first call, you know, just to establish that rapport and that relationship and that trust building, I think is really important. I also think people need to know this happens to everybody and every um, part of any economic, social, cultural, you name it. group this is a this issue happens domestic violence happens i had cases as a prosecutor where victims were living in homeless camps to 
others in multi-million dollar homes. You don't, you know, it, it, it crosses all barriers. And so, and, and, and the folks and the great folks that work for Child Inc. and People's Place deal with this constantly. Um, and, and, and they know how to address these issues. So that's, that's my message. And my message is also one of hope. You know, I think we, we talk about a lot of the, the fatalities and the bad things, but there are so many survivors. And again, this month is for the survivors out there who have been able to get out and who have been able to reestablish their lives and are now living happy, healthy, productive lives out of uh, no longer in fear. And so to them, I say, congratulations, and we celebrate you because that was no small feat. And you are inspiring to so many people. So th that's my, that's what I would say in closing. Lori? I appreciate Representative Griffith talking about the, uh, the wonderful advocates who work in my agency and throughout the state, including People's Place, including the the victim service, the victim service coordinators in our police agencies. I think that uh, I think that either picking up that phone, joining that chat online, reaching out is the first step, and sometimes it's the hardest step because it is difficult. It it is difficult to admit that you are in this situation and that, and that you need help. People are people are proud and they they want to believe that they can solve this problem on their own. But one of the things that we can help with is a safety risk assessment to really be able to talk to them objectively about the risks that do exist for them and their children and the options that are available. So as I say, it may not be the domestic violence shelter. It may be a community advocate who can help them. It may be intervening connecting them with an attorney at community legal aid uh, to help them with an issue. It may be trying to help them with a housing issue, get them into our support group, get their children into uh, counseling. So there are, there are many, many services that are available. And I think if, if, if I can leave folks with, with one message is be brave, take the first step, and we will work hand in hand with you to get you the services that you need. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash DE House Dems, on Twitter at DE House Dems, on Instagram also at DE House Dems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.